Hey folks, just a quick reminder before we get started with the show, it really does help the resurgent out tremendously. If you do pay attention to the sponsors, this week Quip and Blue Apron are the sponsors. Uh, Great products. I am familiar with both because I'm a customer of both, so I'm honored to have them be the sponsors of the show. But before we get started, I do just want to remind you, I know sponsors in the show, but they're necessary. They're also helpful. And it helps us if you use them. So thanks very much for taking the time to listen to the podcast and for checking out our great sponsors this week, Quip and Blue Apron. I'm back. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. It is 10 after the hour and we got a lot to talk about, don't we? Let's begin with the omnibus bill, please. Uh, it has passed the House of Representatives, and it's terrible. It is genuinely awful. Um, and it will not be why Republicans lose the House of Representatives in November, but it will be one of the the bits of data that prove the Republicans really have just given up. Uh, my buddy Jody Heiss actually voted against the legislation and he voted against the rule, which is that vehicle that brings it to the floor of the House of Representatives. Uh, and he sent me a, a text. I was flying back from California earlier today and he said, here's my explanation for why I voted no. It's 2,233 pages. It is $1.3 trillion. It's the largest spending bill, single piece of spending bill legislation in American history. It is $582 million per page, 2,232 pages, $582 million per page that you are on the hook for. It is less than 24 hours since they released it. There's a three-day rule in the House that you're supposed to have three days to review it, and they didn't. It doesn't do anything to deal with sanctuary cities. It doesn't uh, fund Planned Parenthood. It weakens the Second Amendment. It doesn't fund the wall. Only $1.6 billion out of $26 billion requested by the president will be put in there. It's a terrible piece of legislation. It really is. And uh, the president's supporters have been assuring everyone the president would veto it because it is so bad. But the president has now signaled he will sign it if it passes the Senate. So it weakens the Second Amendment. It doesn't fund the wall. It funds Planned Parenthood. It is the largest single spending bill ever passed by the Congress since the first day of the United States of America. It's an awful piece of legislation. And it's something you should expect from Democrats, not from Republicans. And yet it's the Republicans who are doing this. In fact, it passed with uh, some Democratic votes. And what's absurd is that most Democrats, though it passed with some, most voted against it because it's the Republican bill. And yet their Democrats would have done even more, even more, which is crazy. And yet that's where we are. Goodness gracious. Okay, 
we got to move on to other things because the president has fired his lawyer and the Mueller Mueller investigators want to talk to him. It looks like that is going to happen. Uh, the word on the street is that uh, this is just the beginning of the purges, not the end when it comes to the president's legal team. So um, the president's lawyer, John Dowd, is out. He's the lead lawyer. Uh, dealing with the Mueller investigation. The president has been wanting him gone for a while. Uh, Ty Cobb, his other lawyer, looks like he's going to be gone soon as well uh, as the president uh, decides to purge his existing legal team and bring in people who he sees on Fox. And that is what's happening. Uh, and they do happen to be some good lawyers. Jay Sekulow uh, is a good lawyer. Joe DeGenova, I think, actually is a good lawyer. Um, and Victoria Tonzing uh, is a good lawyer. But I don't know that they're of the highest caliber. One of the problems now that's happening, according to multiple reports, is that there are very few lawyers who want to work for the president. And it is not, and you need to understand this because it defies the talking point, but it is not that the president is Donald Trump and lawyers don't want to work for Donald Trump um, because they're all liberals or something like that. That's not actually it. The reason is because uh, of a laundry list of lawyers, and I've talked to two, by the way, uh, that the president reached out to who are decidedly conservative lawyers. And they don't want to go to work for him because they don't believe he will actually listen to their advice and that they will spend as much time battling the president as they are battling his opponents. So they, they don't want it. Uh, they don't want to put up with it. Uh, one of the guys who has turned it down, not one of the people I've talked to, mind you, uh, is Ted Olson. Ted Olson was George W. Bush's solicitor general. Uh, you'll recall his wife, Barbara Olson, a friend of mine, was killed in the 9-11 attack. Um, Ted does not want to go work for Donald Trump. Uh, there are others who the president has reached out to who don't want to work for him. And there are, there are prominent law firms, you should know, that don't want to take the president on because of so many liberals working there. That is true. That is true. But by and large, those who don't want to work for the president don't want to work for him because they just don't think that it'll do any good, that he's his own worst enemy, they say. And that's a problem for the president. He's looking at bringing back a lawyer he dismissed uh, because of uh, substance abuse concerns, because he's having a hard time building a legal team around him. And the president is headed to meet with Robert Mueller. The president's not going to be able to get out of meeting with Mueller, it appears. He has said he wants to meet with Mueller. He said he, he's willing to have an unfettered conversation. CNN is reporting the Mueller investigation team wants to talk to him about the firing of James Comey, the firing of Mike Flynn, uh, Trump organization issues, and um, about campaign issues and Paul Manafort. That they want to look at Trump organization issues is probably the big red flag here, that uh, there is a growing suspicion in Washington that one of the things that Robert Mueller is looking at is the Trump organization essentially being used unwittingly, and this is a very important key here, unwittingly, that the Trump organization was used unwittingly as a vehicle to launder money for certain nefarious people in Russia. The president, before becoming president, was negotiating a deal for a Trump property in Moscow. There's also a Trump property in Panama. Well, there was. His name just got taken off of it. And one in Canada. 
And the rumor circulated in Washington is that a lot of the these buildings that were being built uh, with Donald Trump's name, all the funding came from people in Russia uh, essentially using the Trump Organization to launder their money. They were giving money to the Trump Organization, which in turn was using the money to develop these properties. That, again, it is a rumor, but it is a rumor that many, many people have bought into in the New York, D.C. corridor and that Mueller is asking for information related to the Trump Organization and its investments and developments it gives credence to that rumor in a lot of people's minds. But i got to go full circle on this point and say that the, the key word is unwittingly. No one believes that the president knew. The question is, did Jared Kushner know? Did one of the president's kids know? Did the president's lawyers know? I mean, that's the crazy thing about all of this is that, by and large, most people I've talked to uh, believe the president is an unwitting participant in a lot of these things. The problem, though, for the president is that his name is on everything. He signed everything. Uh, Kushner may or may not uh, may have organized, uh, structured, negotiated these things. But ultimately, it's Donald Trump's name on all the paperwork. And that causes him a problem. One of the lawyers, the president is thinking of bringing back uh, one who's been accused of substance abuse issues and yelling at people and whatnot, uh, has demanded that Kushner leave the White House. If Kushner leaves the White House, uh, that's probably a pretty big sign that more big shakeups are on the way. But it just goes to show you that a lot of lawyers believe that Kushner is the biggest liability the president has and that it's actually him who will probably come out of this with problems, not the president. Let me take a quick time out to thank one of our great sponsors this week, and that would be Blue Apron. You know Blue Apron. Heck, Mick Mulvaney, the head of the Office of Management and Budget, he wants a federal government Blue Apron-style program to help feed poor people. Blue Apron is that popular and they're that widely known for good reason. They're the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. They make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone, and they've got plans to suit your needs. they got a two-person meal plan. It feeds two people eight new recipes per week with the choice to receive either two or three recipes a week. they got a family meal plan, which is what I have, meals that serve four people. You choose from four new recipes per week with the choice to receive two, three, or four recipes any week. I get two a week because I like to do a lot of other cooking as well, and I get tons of cookbooks to review. More on that later. And they also have a wine plan, six bottles of wine from renowned winemakers delivered monthly. They do a lot of great recipes. In fact, let me just give you the recipes that I've had recently. I did the creamy tomato fettuccine with mushrooms and thyme breadcrumbs. Really, really, really delicious. Enjoyed that a lot. And then I tried something new, which I'd never done before. Kind of Asian thing. It was good. It was ginger pork burgers with black bean mayo and roasted broccoli. I would have never considered cooking something like this at home. But I did. And it was tasty. It was very, very tasty. Um, They've got some original recipes. And you know, as somebody who really likes to cook a lot... They have recipes I would have never considered, Um, stuff I I would have never thought, I don't know that that sounds good. And then they send me a box of this stuff, and I make it, and it's actually quite tasty. And right now, Blue Apron has a really good deal. My listeners are getting $30 off their first order. You go to blueapron.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Check out this week's menu. You get $30 off at blueapron.com slash Eric. It is a great way to cook. If you're single and you're dating, this is a way to impress your significant other as well. Some fantastic recipes. Stay in and cook with Blue Apron. Go to blueapron.com slash Eric. It really is a better way to cook. 
That would be SB. <laughs> Welcome, it's Eric Erickson here, 26 after the hour. The phone number is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. I landed at 2.45 p.m., and it took forever to get from the airport uh, to the office. It it took a long time. Nonetheless, uh, I am here. I had a great time at the Reagan Library last night. I had a ton of people show up. Uh, they were really apologetic, actually. Uh, they had a packed house. And they were really apologetic. And they said, well, we invited 200 people uh, or had RSVPs from 200 people. And um, but they were they had mandatory evacuations out there from the rain. When I was supposed to give this speech originally, December 6 was at the height of the wildfires and they couldn't uh, do the speech because nobody could get there. Everything was on fire. And so we put it off until yesterday and the winter storm of the century uh, that on the first day of spring, no less, uh, hit. And there were some areas in the mountains getting three inches of rain in an hour and literally having massive mudslides. In fact, as I was driving to Simi Valley from the airport, uh, you could see where just whole like big hills had completely washed away. There were bulldozers putting stuff, uh, digging stuff off the roads. Um, trying to put it to the sides. It was just, it was a, a terrible situation. And there were mandatory evacuations in the immediate area around the Reagan Library um, for certain neighborhoods because of the rain and the mudslides. Uh, nonetheless, beautiful area. If you've never been to the Reagan Library, and I never had been, it is, it's worth going. It was a gorgeous, gorgeous place. And the clouds parted while I was there. You could see all the way to the Pacific Ocean from the Reagan Library. It was built uh, in a mission style, Spanish mission style. And one of the neat things that they have found in the archive from just, uh, they found it just a few years ago, was if you'll recall when Ronald Reagan announced to the world he had Alzheimer's, he wrote a letter that was handwritten and then published in newspapers. Well, he recorded the audio of the letter. And the audio was lost. And in going through the archives to do some updates to the exhibits, they found the actual audio from President Reagan uh, reading his letter. And you can hear that he's unable to read two paragraphs talking about the hardest thing would be leaving Nancy behind. His, his voice cracks and he can't do it, so he skips those paragraphs. But it was amazing. Just tearjerker, too. I have to weigh in on some local issues and make everybody mad now. Um, I told Charlie that I was going to say something that probably had me crucified by half the listening audience, but I was going to say it anyway. When does that stop me? Um, but first, you need to know that our members of the legislature are such cowards and wimps. You know, in Texas, Texas, where there are major outlets for Amazon already, Apple, Dell, Intel, uh, Google, uh, you name, Facebook, you name it, uh, they're all there. And yet Texas was willing to pass legislation to provide um, religious liberty protections for Christian adoption agencies where they would not be compelled, they could not be compelled to um, do adoptions that violate their religious tenets. Well, Georgia's legislature is not going to pass such legislation. They're scared of losing the Hollywood film industry. 
So it is true, you cannot serve both uh, God and money, and Georgia's legislature has decided to serve money. So you need to know that. Now, there is other legislation that we need to discuss, and it is becoming very controversial because of what has happened in the Senate. It is House Bill 605, which is called the Hidden Predator Act. And I need to explain this to you. You are more than likely not aware of situations where people are molested as kids, often young boys, and it is decades before they're willing to come forward. In some cases, they're having issues and go to therapy and unlock the traumatic events that they have repressed. And then the statute of limitations is up. And there's nothing they can do about it to get justice for what happened to them. There is legislation that was uh, put forward in the House of Representatives in Georgia, the Hidden Predator Act. And it passed unanimously in the House of Representatives, which is somewhat unheard of, yet it did. It has moved to the Senate, where the Senate uh, has been under extraordinary pressure from the Catholic Church, from the Boy Scouts and others, to gut the legislation. It has passed unanimously out of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Democrats and Republicans on the committee, uh, drastically modifying the Hidden Predator Act. I have to tell you, I have a lot of friends who vigorously, adamantly, uh, boldly are supporting this legislation. They are very angry with the Georgia Senate uh, for what they have done. I am not in that camp, which is going to get me in trouble with a lot of friends. I think the Senate went too far. But I think the House did not go far enough. Uh, the House set a limit of 38 years old for people who could come forward, and they made it effective this year. So when the law goes into effect, uh, assuming you're a child after July 1st, 2018, or molested and it takes you 38 years to come forward, you're okay. The Senate lowered it to 30 years old. I think they should have left it at 38. Now, the original legislation, there were valid concerns that there wasn't a time limit on it. You could be dealing with people who were long dead and claims against people who had died or witnesses had died long ago. The House at 38, I think they should have left it. One thing the Senate did that I think is necessary, though, is that they raised the standard of proof uh, from a preponderance of the, of the evidence, which is a very basic uh, standard for essentially a, a car crash where it, it's it's a monetary judgment, they raised it to clear and convincing evidence, which is a not reasonable doubt, not beyond reasonable doubt standard, but is a tougher standard than just a preponderance of evidence. Here's why I support raising the standard from preponderance of evidence to clear and convincing evidence. And I don't mean to make any of you mad, uh, but it is about something we don't talk about. And we don't talk about it because it, it makes real victims very upset. And I don't mean to, to question the integrity of real victims, and there are a lot of them, and they should get justice. But there are also people who come forward with false claims. And there are people who, who jump into, for example, the Me Too movement now. It's all the rage now to, to claim you've been the victim of Harvey Weinstein or, or someone, and a lot of people make false claims. And there are a lot of people who come forward after years of therapy claiming that, that uh, someone molested them, and it may not have happened, but it came forward in therapy situations. And I think if we're dealing with potential things that happen, potential crimes that happened 20 years ago, 
that have the potential to destroy someone's life if they were falsely accused, I think we need to raise the standard from the very minimal preponderance of evidence standard that we would use for a, uh, a, a child support case or a car wreck, basic car wreck case, raise it to clear and convincing evidence that we use um, for most substantial situations in Georgia um, in, in civil trials. Victims need justice. The reason we have statutes of limitations, however, is because the state recognizes that memories get bad over time, witnesses die, evidence gets lost, and there has to be a cutoff point. I think we can all agree that the cutoff point that we've had in the past has been too, too soon, and we need to raise it. I think the House raising it to 38 was good. I, I don't think the Senate should have raised, should have lowered the House's version. It should have lowered it back to 30. Either is still better, by the way, than what we had, uh, but I think it should be higher than 30. But I do think that we have to be very careful in these situations, and we feel bad for victims, and we want justice for victims, and there are a lot of victims' rights groups who have been loudly supporting this legislation, and God bless them for doing it. But I also think that we do have to have due process concerns. We cannot forget due process. We cannot forget that there are people who are regularly falsely accused of things like this. We cannot forget that there are people who, who come forward and make claims because of suggestions. We've seen this happen a very long time in this country. So I want to help the victims. And I think the House and the Senate are headed in the right direction. But I hope they will be able to compromise on this. Uh, but I have to applaud the Senate, actually, for raising the standard to clear and convincing evidence. Um, I think as a, as a former lawyer who did both plaintiffs and defendants, uh, I think that that is the standard that we need to have in a situation like this when we're dealing with situations that go back decades where witnesses and evidence might have disappeared. My friends... I have news that you can use. Did you know that eating a vegan diet promotes white masculinity? Yep. Ladies, you're going to get a deep voice if you keep eating those veggies. <laughs> Apparently, some feminist scholar, of course, it's always a feminist scholar, a feminist sociologist, believes that, that veganism... It, it contributes to to white masculinity. You see, she interviewed a bunch of white men who've become vegan. And the reason they became vegan is because they had read research that suggests that becoming vegan was good for you health-wise. And so they did it. And she believes that them reading research, that's what this ultimately is about, that by reading research... And coming to a conclusion to become vegan, they're promoting white masculinity because women 
have emotional reasons for becoming vegan. Is, is that not the most sexist thing you've ever heard by the, this uh, feminist researcher? That women become vegan, it's an emotional issue. Women, apparently, they don't read the scientific research and say, oh, this is good for me. It's just they they, they want to do it because they think it, it helps them and they won't be fat or whatnot. And the men, they read the scientific research. It is nine after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is WSB, the phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh, we've got to spend a little more time here on this omnibus bill, I think. Um, and then Cambridge Analytica and Facebook. I want to say something else about the omnibus, though. $1.3 trillion the largest amount of money spent in a single piece of legislation ever by a Congress since the beginning of this republic. That's a massive amount of money. $500 million per page, essentially. Um, it just it, it boggles the mind that Republicans would do this. And I, I think it is worth noting here that uh, the reason something like this could pass by Republican Congress is because no one can tell me what it means to be a Republican anymore. Um, this is a betrayal of, of Republican first principles. You know, it, it's somewhat uh, interesting to me to, to have gone to the Reagan Library and seen uh, the exhibits of Ronald Reagan in in. Washington as president, as governor of California, as a private citizen, and his belief that the the more freedom erodes, the larger the government gets. The larger the government gets, the more freedom erodes. It was a Reagan statement, a Reagan belief. He wrote this. Uh, you can see the scrap of paper on which it's written. Republicans have no core convictions anymore. I mean, they're even okay with, with a president of the United States cheating on his pregnant wife with porn stars these days. Republicans have no convictions. It is all about power and keeping the other side from power, and that in and of itself is a good. They can stand for nothing, cave on everything, and, and as long as the other side doesn't have power, the people are okay with it. They have no core convictions anymore. They're funding Planned Parenthood. They are not funding a border wall, and the president's going to sign this piece of legislation, he says. They are raising the debt share on our children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. They have no plan to bring it down. What does it mean to be a Republican other than not Democrat? What does it mean? It used to mean that uh, you believed in a smaller government. You know, I was speaking at the University of Montana on Tuesday night uh, at an NPR-hosted event, and I, I told the crowd uh, that one of the reasons I'm a conservative is because I think we're all sinners, and I want as few sinners in charge of me as possible. And we are essentially emboldening 
an out-of-control federal bureaucracy with what Republicans are doing. Republicans run to the microphone and they assail the federal bureaucracy. They assail the size and scope of federal government. They assail the fact that it is impossible to get things done and our liberties are being eroded by an out-of-control Leviathan, and yet they're shoving hundred or $1.3 trillion down the Leviathan's throat and saying this is a policy win because it's not as much as the Democrats would have spent. Well, it looks very much Democrat to me. They're funding Planned Parenthood. They're not funding the wall. I mean, they're not getting anything out of this. Republicans, Republican voters who still believe in the Republican Party, they're not really getting much of anything. Republicans who have no conviction just that the other side doesn't control power, they certainly are winning for now. But the consequence of having no core values is that elections have consequences, and there will be an election in November, and there will be grave consequences. The Republicans will not lose Congress in November because of the omnibus. They will lose control of Congress in November because they have lost their convictions and stand for nothing, and no one will vote for anyone who stands for nothing. And that is a sad indictment on the state of the Republican Party. It is rudderless and leaderless with no conviction and you will be paying for it as will multiple generations of your household as a result now you cambridge analytic and facebook i i need to to go back over some of this ground because there's a point i missed the other day that i think is deeply relevant to the story that is ongoing and, and that is that much of the media is upset with facebook because their referral traffic from Facebook has declined. Facebook changed the algorithm so that people could see more of their friends' news instead of the news's news. And in so doing, they have caused a referral drop-off to major media outlets around the country. Those media outlets invested heavily in using Facebook as a platform to drive traffic to them. They're no longer getting that traffic. They're having to lay people off. Uh, they're seeing revenue declines, and they're bitter at Facebook because of it. And so along comes the Cambridge Analytica story, and the media is able to drive clicks to their own websites, not Facebook, so that they can attack Facebook for what Facebook did. But all Facebook did, by the way, is do what it's done for a lot of these media outlets. Give access to core user data to an advertiser called Cambridge Analytica. If Hillary Clinton had won the election, this would not be a story. Cambridge Analytica did what Barack Obama did. And in 2008 and 2012, multiple media outlets ran hagiographic stories about Facebook and Barack Obama and their genius in collaborating together to harness user social psychographic data in order to get Barack Obama elected. All Cambridge Analytica did was the exact same thing that Barack Obama did. And in 2008 and 2012, the media thought it was awesome, and now they don't. And the reason they don't is, one, they're bitter and upset with Facebook right now because of traffic. But two, they still, the media and the left, which by and large are the same thing these days, they still cannot, cannot blame Hillary Clinton for her loss. They have to blame someone else. Because they have to blame someone else, they're blaming Cambridge Analytica. And one of the details left out of these stories is how few consultants in Washington on either side of the aisle actually believe that Cambridge Analytica was effective 
or that the social media efforts of Barack Obama in 2008 and 2012 were effective. Believe it or not, Donald Trump did not win because the Russians stole the election, and he did not win because of psychographic data given to Cambridge Analytica to help pinpoint swing voters. He won because of his issues and his personality, and because of Hillary Clinton's issues and her personality. He did not win because of Cambridge Analytica. In fact, you talk to political consultants who know Cambridge Analytica, and they come away uniformly unimpressed with their claims of some sort of secret sauce. There was none. In fact, if Cambridge Analytica really did have the secret sauce, Ted Cruz would be president of the United States because Cambridge Analytica was working for Ted Cruz until Donald Trump won the nomination and they decided they would help him. Why didn't Cruz become the nominee if Cambridge Analytica was so powerful with its secret sauce and and secret Facebook data? Because it didn't happen. They were just an advertiser. And they processed the data, and they had smart people processing the data to build very good psychographic profiles of voters to try to target them and figure out what motivates people to take certain actions from buying a toothbrush to going to vote. And they could pinpoint messages to people on Facebook, but it was all advertisements. It's what anyone else could do. It's what Barack Obama did, and everyone was fine with it. There is no scandal here. The only scandal truly is that Donald Trump won the election. And since Donald Trump won the election, the media and the left are attacking Cambridge Analytica and now Facebook because of the Facebook traffic referral problems for the media. Had Hillary Clinton won and she had done, she had hired Cambridge Analytica, there would be no story. There would be no outrage. This is all about trying to find other people to blame other than Hillary Clinton and her campaign manager, Robbie Mook, who, by the way, if you'll recall, Facebook offered them their services and data, and the Clinton team declined. The Trump team took Facebook up on its offer. Just a quick timeout for a great sponsor whose product I've been using since before we started doing sponsors for this podcast, Quip, because I saw their ads on Instagram and thought, eh, this looks useful because every electric toothbrush I have ever had has sucked. Um, either the head was too big or it had a charger and I hate traveling with extra chargers. I got a Mac, so I got dongles for everything. And I want a charger for a toothbrush as well. And Quip doesn't use a charger and the battery. I've been using this one now uh, three, four months and the battery still works. And when it stops working, I just replace the battery. That's it. I can buy them at the grocery store. I like Quip. New electric toothbrush packs the right amount of vibration into a slimmer design at a fraction of the cost of bulkier traditional electric brushes. That is very true. And here's the cool thing. They have a subscription plan. Refreshes your brush on a dentist-recommended schedule. New brush heads every three months for just $5, including free shipping worldwide. Now, side topic here. If I sound like I'm essing, hissing, I'm wearing Invisalign braces. My I, Dental issues, when I was a kid, had a quack dentist, uh, pulled teeth he shouldn't have, and it has over time caused problems. I've noticed my teeth seeming like they were further and further back, and turns out they were. So I had to wear these braces, and the reason I'm wearing these braces is because although the S's hiss a little more, I can still talk on radio in a way with metal braces I couldn't. But they put these attachments on your teeth that help push your teeth around wearing these braces. And you eat meat, you eat anything, it can get up underneath the attachments and whatnot. And I tried my wife's electric toothbrush that has a bigger head just to see if if I was right. And sure enough, my Quip toothbrush, because the head has a great vibration, but it's also smaller than some of these electric toothbrushes, 
I can get in and around those attachments better than with my wife's fancy, super expensive $100 plus electric toothbrush. And I don't have to deal with a charger, which is a good thing. Um, so Quip makes it very, very easy for me to have good dental hygiene. And replacing your brush heads every three months is dentist recommended because your brush heads, they can actually get sharp. I was hearing Jonathan last on the on the Substandard podcast say he's a, a, a germaphobe and was talking about the brush heads. They get sharp, the bristles do, and they can grind off your enamel and hurt your gum. So you're supposed to replace your brush head every three months. So with Quip, you, I mean, you kill two birds with one stone, you get great dental hygiene. I highly recommend it. More than I wanted to say about a toothbrush, but I actually am that impressed and it has been that useful. Quip starts at just $25. And if you go to getquip.com, getquip.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K right now, you'll get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash Eric. It's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash E-R-I-C-K. There's some serious breaking news happening right now. Welcome, it's Eric Erickson here. Big breaking news right now. H.R. McMaster, General H.R. McMaster, out as National Security Advisor this afternoon to be replaced by former U.N. Ambassador John Bolton. The New York Times is reporting this. It is being confirmed by White House staff, who only last week were saying the president had no intention of removing H.R. McMaster. Lieutenant General H.R. McMaster, the battle-tested Army officer, tapped as President Trump's National Security Advisor last year to stabilize a turbulent foreign policy operation will resign and be replaced by John Bolton, a hardline former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. White House officials said Thursday, General McMaster will retire from the military. He has been discussing his departure with President Trump for several weeks, but decided to speed up his departure in part because questions about his status were casting a shadow over his conversations with foreign officials. The officials also said that Mr. Trump wanted to fill out his national security team before his meeting with Kim Jong Un. He replaced Secretary of State Rex Tillerson with the CIA Director Mike Pompeo last week. Officials emphasized General McMaster's departure was a mutual decision and amicable with none of the recriminations that marked Tillerson's exit. They said it was not related to a leak on Tuesday of briefing materials for Donald Trump's phone call with Vladimir Putin. In the materials, the president was advised not to congratulate Putin on his re-election. He did anyway. Uh, John Bolton is going to take office on April 9th. He's been meeting regularly with the president uh, to discuss foreign policy anyway. Um, so here we go. Another shakeup in the White House. This one is very big. McMaster had put together a national security team. If you will recall, the president and McMaster never really gelled uh, because McMaster refused to go along with a number of President Trump's appointees in the position and was slowly over time able to push most of them out of the way. Um, so that's it. This is actually pretty significant breaking news at this moment. Uh, again, the New York Times reporting and the White House is now confirming for the first time General H.R. McMaster out of his job as National Security Advisor to be replaced by John Bolton, the former uh, U.N. ambassador. Under George W. Bush, one of the interesting things here, you'll recall, John Bolton was not able to get Senate confirmation for his U.N. ambassador position. My goodness, uh, other news here is that Lori Dew, formerly of Fox News, is now the fourth person to sue Bill O'Reilly for sexual harassment. Uh, mercy. 
Um, so the implications, I, I got to deviate from what I wanted to talk about here because of this breaking news. If you're just tuning in, uh, H.R. McMaster, General McMaster, is going to retire from the military and leave his position as National Security Advisor to be replaced with John Bolton, the former U.N. ambassador. You know, so CNN is on in the studio here at WSB and the cry and says uh, Trump replaces National Security Advisor McMaster with Fox News analyst John Bolton. I, I think that is a, a little bit of a disingenuous editorializing by uh, CNN. He's the former United Nations ambassador, John Bolton, and a former deputy secretary of state. Uh, he has an extremely impressive resume. Uh, he could not get Senate confirmation as UN ambassador. He had to be appointed as a recess appointment by George H.W. Bush because he had made some enemies in the United States Senate uh, during his time in the State Department. And nonetheless, uh, he was a, a vigorous reformer at the U.N., and all of the right people hated him. I, I mean, all the, all the bad guys, the, the Venezuelans, the Russians, the Chinese, the North Koreans, uh, the Iranians, they all hated uh, John Bolton, and that was a good thing. He will probably ensure that the Iran deal is no more, and for that we can be thankful. Uh, John Bolton is a brilliant man, and it does him a disservice, I think, to just label him a Fox News analyst to CNN is doing, although it is true that the president developed his friendship with John Bolton uh, through his connection with both Fox News and National Review, where John Bolton has written a number, a number of things over the years. Um, I have met Bolton a couple of times. I know him uh, not well, but do know him. I know a number of people who have worked for him and around him. All of them think very, very highly of him, that he is very no-nonsense. Uh, he will be a very good national security advisor. He has been meeting privately with the president during pretty much the course of this presidency, other than there was a three- or four-month period after John Kelly became chief of staff where he lost his access to the president, and he went public about it, actually, in an op-ed piece, and uh, his access was restored to the president. He was seen uh, going into the White House uh, to meet with the president shortly thereafter and has been in touch with him ever since. Urge, he is the person who urged the president to get out of the Paris Accord. He is the person who's been pushing the president to get out of the Iran deal. He is the person who's been pushing the president to be very strident on North Korea, China, and on Russia. Uh, John Bolton is not a, a, not a Russia fan. Uh, the Russians hate John Bolton. Uh, they consider him a Cold War relic who thinks that Vladimir Putin is a commie from the USSR. And he is, by the way. John Bolton's right on that. Uh, so the president will be getting some some firm opinions on Russia in the process. This is a, a great, great thing. I'm, I'm a huge John Bolton fan, you should know. Uh, and I think this is tremendous news uh, for the president and will be a boost to his foreign policy, bringing greater coherence to it. Now that the spineless Tillerson is gone and H.R. McMaster, who's a great man, by the way, don't get me wrong, H.R. McMaster is a great man, but he had a terrible working relationship with the president. At least John Bolton has a great relationship with the president and can steer him uh, in really good directions on a number of these issues. Now, one of the things that I want to mention um, real quick is in Montana, heard a Joe Biden story I'd never heard before. It was a Joe Biden, Jesse Helm story, which made it awesome. Um, I, I spoke at the Mansfield Center, which uh, Mike Mansfield was a senator from uh, Montana. He was the ranking member, the majority leader for a number of years. And there's a, a Joe Biden story where Biden 
saw past Jesse Helms in the hallway of the Senate. And Helms was berating two of his Republican colleagues for supporting legislation that would become the Americans with Disabilities Act. Jesse Helms was a strident opponent of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And Biden went into Mansfield's office and blew up about what a horrible person Jesse Helms was. Uh, what an awful person he was. A, a blight on the Senate and humanity for breathing. And Mansfield looked at um, Joe Biden and he said, Joe, I want to tell you a story. A child in North Carolina took out an advertisement to be adopted. The child had braces all the way up to his hips, couldn't walk, terrible physical disability, was an orphan, wanted to be adopted. It generated a newspaper story after what the kid did himself. And Joe Biden, or no, Joe Biden, Jesse Helms and his wife adopted the kid. Jesse Helms and his wife poured their financial resources into helping people with disabilities throughout North Carolina. And Mansfield looked at Joe Biden and said, Joe, don't ever impute motives to someone. You may disagree with them, but don't ever impute to them motives of your own conjuring. Uh, it's one thing to disagree with Jesse Helms about the Americans with Disabilities Act. It's another to impute bad motives for him opposing it when Helms and his wife uh, spent their entire fortune helping uh, the disabled in North Carolina, adopting kids with disabilities. And Helms and, and Biden went on to develop a great working relationship on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. And together, uh, as they flip back and forth between uh, the, the majority and the minority, together continued to work to pass major legislation on a bipartisan basis in the Senate. And I, I would tell you, I have gotten emails from uh, a couple of listeners very angry with me over saying that, that I thought the, the House should come in the Senate's direction on HB 605, the, uh, the Human Predator Act or whatever they're calling it, uh, the Hidden Predator Act. And a lot of people impute motives. One of the emails is from someone who assumes that I must be Catholic. I'm assuming they're not a regular listener of this program. I'm not Catholic. Uh, but they presume I must be Catholic, and that's why I oppose the bill, because the Catholic Church opposes it. Um, and I've seen other people uh, go after people for either being on the board of Boy Scouts or working for Boy Scouts and whatnot. Uh, and yeah, the Boy Scouts are opposed to it. And I would just say disagree, but don't impute ill motives and ill intent to people because you disagree with them. Uh, I think there are concerns, due process concerns, among other things, that the Senate is looking at. And I suspect the House and Senate will come together and they will um, produce a bill that everyone can rally around as a compromise. Uh, but I wouldn't impute bad motives to people. Uh, I'm just actually really flabbergasted that someone uh, purports to be a regular listener of the show and thinks I'm Catholic because I I'm okay with what where the Senate was headed. Uh, no, I actually go to a Presbyterian church and grew up Southern Baptist just to set the record straight. Why, hello there. John in Hushton, you're the last caller of the day. Welcome. 
Hey, brother Eric. Happy Thursday, my man. Uh, I'm ready for Happy Friday. Uh, it's Friday somewhere. So, uh, hey, man, thanks for being a servant and uh, thanks for keeping it real. My question is that maybe two questions. Will Trump veto this bill? And B, does he, is this kind of a game to him? Is he waiting for it to get this far? And then does he. Well, you know, he has said that he would sign it. Uh, He said that this morning. But I think if the president hears enough outrage from his base, he'll walk that back as he sometimes does. Uh, And I I hope he will uh, if people drum up outrage. I mean, they're they're walking back the Second Amendment uh, support in this piece of legislation, among other things. So hopefully he will. Um, And people just have to people have to let him hear that they're unhappy with this.